I want to talk to you about some things that I've been feeling so deeply in my spirit because uh, I believe that we are standing tonight, and I'm not talking about five years from now, I'm talking about tonight, that we as the body of Christ are postured and positioned on the precipice of one of the most powerful moves of God that we have ever seen sweep this land. I know that there are people that are struggling to make sense of everything that's going on around them. And to be quite frank with you, um, I don't think you're going to make sense of it. I was talking with someone today about the things that are going on that we just don't know. We don't really know how to respond to. And my, my response was very simply, we will probably never know um, the far-reaching effect. I am certain that there have been um, people that have been sick that didn't even know they were sick. And so the numbers will never, ever make sense. You understand what I'm saying? I'm not here to talk to you about corona. I'm here to talk to you about something beyond that. I'm saying whenever there is a shaking in the earth, God uses that to unseat things that have been comfortable. And so I'm not afraid of the collateral damage that's going to be done to us. I'm rejoicing for the collateral damage that's going to be done to the enemy's kingdom. Because God is getting ready to unleash his power, his authority, and his victory. It's easy to get camp meetings standing on their head when you preach about end time revival. I've stood in front of thousands of people and preached about revival, revival, revival. Man, they'll run the aisles and uh, some people think I'm joking when I say this. I've had them do backflips. Had them do backflips down the middle aisle. They were dancing. That's their way of dancing and shouting. I'm like, well, I can't do it. I'm jealous. But uh, you can literally make people do backflips when you talk about revival. But what you can't explain to people when you're preaching about revival and the exhilaration of the moment is that revival is never free. Anytime there is a mighty move of God recorded, there are several common threads that run through those mighty moves of God. And I believe that we are coming upon perhaps the last great move of God before His coming. We have moved into a dispensation in time where in this church age, people are coming up with every reason that they can to push off the coming of the Lord. And I'm not here tonight in any way, shape, or form to debate eschatology or your understanding of the end time or the rapture. I want you to know that I do believe in a literal rapture. I do believe that there is going to be a rapture for the church. The word rapture is not uh, a New Testament word, but the calling away is there, which is what a rapture is describing, is the calling away. And I believe that we have powerful biblical proof that the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout with the voice of the archangel. And that the dead in Christ are going to rise first. And that we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so there are common threads that run through great revivals and they are a stirring in the, na in the nation among the people. It is a powerful revival of prayer. And one of the other things it is, it's not the only three things, but the third thing that I want to touch on tonight is that men begin to think about and preach about the coming of the Lord. When you can get people's hearts set on the fact that Jesus is coming and eternity is real. Hey, I'm telling you right now, I believe that we're not too far away right now from the trumpet sounding and the eastern sky party. That may not excite you like it excites me, but I'm getting ready to go. I plan on going in the rapture. It's important for us, I believe, to not only preach, but teach and talk the coming of the Lord. I believe it is imperative for us as the body of Christ 
in the church age of the 21st century to openly declare without apology and without reservation that we are a people that believe in a literal return of the Messiah. I believe it. I believe in a millennial reign. I believe that he's going to come back to get us and that we are going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years upon the earth. I believe that. Why do I believe that? Because the Bible says that. I believe that we're going to come back with him riding on a white horse, the scripture says, and that there will be a flaming sword coming out of his mouth, which is the word of God. And he will establish himself with one foot on the temple mount and the other foot on the Mount of Olives. And it's at this moment in our study of eschatology that we believe the judgment of God will be rendered finally upon the earth. And in fast forward of this uh, moment and event in time, there is going to be a moment that, quite honestly, I cannot wait to see. I really can't wait to see him face to face. I can't wait to worship him. I can't wait to bow down at his feet. But I want to tell you about a moment in time that I really, I just cannot wait for. And after I get to see him face to face, this is the moment that I'm waiting on. I'm waiting for that moment when the Lord looks at the angel and tells the angel to go take that great chain. The Bible doesn't say where he's going to get the chain. But he says that, oh God, I feel him here. He said he's going to tell that angel to take a great chain. And he's going to bind up the accuser of the brethren. You want me to tell you why I don't don't believe the Bible tells us where the chain's coming from? Because I've got a belief in my heart. I know exactly where the chain's coming from. It's coming from places just like this tonight. Where somebody walked in here shackled with chains of addiction. But when the Holy Ghost rests on you and that chain falls off, you are adding to that great chain that the angel is going to buy. Hey, I feel him here right now. And the angel of the Lord is going to take that great chain and he's going to bind up Lucifer, the accuser of the brethren. But he won't accuse anymore because the Bible said that he's going to take him and cast him into a bottomless pit. I'm telling you there's coming a day that the last accusation will be made. That the last day of fear will be had. That the last day of sickness will be over. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more dying. There'll be no more darkness in the city where the Lamb is the light. I believe he's coming. And I believe that he's coming soon. Luke 18 and 8, I mentioned it this morning. The scripture said, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. The Lord is coming back. And he's searching the earth for faith. What kind of faith? I believe that it's the faith that Jude talked about. When Jude said, I was going to write to you about a a so common salvation. But something got a hold of my spirit and I felt the need to urge you, he said. To earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. In this end time that we live in. It is easy for us to cast aside the weighty matters of our faith. The weighty matters of our doctrine. But I'm telling you tonight that the faith was only delivered one time to the church. It was delivered to the church. And Jude said, you contend for it. What do you mean contend, Jude? Jude was saying that your faith is going to be attacked. That your doctrine is going to be attacked. But you've got to prepare yourself in your heart to stand firm on the word of God. And when winds of false doctrine blow, you don't back up for the wind. You don't lay down for the wind. But you stand 
stand up and you contend. Jude used the word contend. It is a word of warfare. You hear me right now. That in this end time with sloppy agape and goofy grace being preached everywhere, we've got to stand up for the truth and preach this gospel message that Jesus Christ was the image of the invisible God and that God robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. The gospel message is that he who said high came down low so that I could get back up. The gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection. When he comes back, will he find it? Because there are people today that are saying you don't have to do anything to be saved. And if the truth is that you don't have to do anything to be saved, then I guess they're saved. Huh? And herein lies the problem with letting your light shine and being a witness to men is that you got to unsave people to get them saved. They've been lied to and told that they're saved because they confessed the Lord with their mouth and believed in their heart. But he didn't say, when I come back, am I going to find people that will confess with their mouth and believe in their heart? He said, am I going to find faith? Am I going to find the contenders that Jude was reaching for that will get a hold of this book and say, I'm not looking for some creedal idea. I'm not looking for something that man have made. I'm looking for something that's authentic and powerful. You hear me when I tell you right now. There is no man-made idea that has ever set a man free from drugs. Nowhere. There is no power in a man, oh hallelujah, in a man-made message to set an alcoholic free. But when you preach the word of God, let me break it down like this. The writer said that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Will he find faith? Yes. As long as there's a preacher preaching the word. The last days are the time frame prior to the return of the Lord. Scripture leads us to believe that there will be two distinct times the Lord returns to the earth. When the dead in Christ rise and the saints are called away, which you'll find if you're taking notes in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. And the second we just talked about when Christ returns with the saints in Revelation 19, 11 through 14. And even you can connect us in the Old Testament to the book of Zechariah 14 and 4 through 5. However, all the signs that indicate Christ is coming are connected to what is called the last days. Or in other words, the days prior to His coming. Whenever you hear somebody stand up and declare, I believe it's the last days, what they're really saying is that they're speaking of the signs taking place that are indicated by the apostles, by the prophets, are the words of Jesus when he said, I'm coming back again. Now, the first thing I want to tell you, and it goes without saying, I think everybody here understands exactly the point that I'm getting ready to make to you, but if I could just bring some reinforcement tonight to your faith. There is a clash between two kingdoms. It's the kingdom of God, the kingdom of darkness, or the kingdom of Satan. This is not two equal opposite powers that are fighting. This is not just good and evil of equal powers and polarization. This is, that's not what this is. It is the kingdom of God that is already established in the earth because he came to establish it himself in the hearts of men and women to preach the kingdom of God until he returns in the full glory of his power in his kingdom again. But the powers of darkness are fighting. Well, pastor, I'd really like some word. Well, let's give it to you and I'm going to throw some book at you tonight because I feel the need to do it. God has a kingdom according to Matthew 6 and 33. And Satan has a kingdom according to Matthew 12 and 26. There's a real clash between these two. But I want you to know that the power of this message should not frighten the soul that has been filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. 
<laughs> I was in the restaurant today and I walked into the bathroom to wash the hallelujahs off my hands before I partook of breaking bread. And there was an elderly black gentleman standing there in the bathroom washing his hands and I was waiting to get to the sink and I could tell that he was a religious man and it more than likely came from church. He was all dressed up and, and so... Uh, he looked at me in the mirror and we met our gaze and I said, how are you, sir? He said, I'm fine, thank you. I said, I'm blessed. God's been good to me. And he said, oh yeah, God's been so good to us, hadn't he? And we started small talking. And, and uh, he, of course, the conversation immediately had to lead into the fear and the frenzy and the debacle that we're in right now. It's like unbelievable, everything that's going on, you know. And I just leaned over to him as he was drying off of his hands and I was washing mine and I said, well, I want to tell you something that brings me great comfort. And he looked over at me and raised his eyebrows. I said, brother, let me tell you something. I've already read the back of the book. And I, I said, I'm not afraid of what man can do because I've read the back of the book. We win, sir. I said, I'm glad to tell you we're on the winning team. Listen to what I'm telling you tonight. There is a war and it's a real war. But I know how this one's going to end. What I'm about to say would be debated by some, but that's okay. They have a right to be wrong. It's okay. I want you to understand that what you and I see with our physical eyes is not the real world. Somebody say amen or oh me. The real world is going on in a dimension above your head, as the scripture said, in the things that are not seen. There is a war that's taking place. It's a war that ever so often we'll get a picture of, a preview of it, as we look into the holy scriptures and we begin to see glimpses from time to time of what that world would look, by, look like should God some way roll back the curtain and allow us to see through the perspective of the supernatural. For when Daniel was on his face for 21 days not defiling himself with the king's meat and he was seeking after the Lord. Finally, after three weeks, the Bible said that a strong angel came to him and said to him that I have heard your prayer. The Lord heard your prayer and he heard you pray it three weeks ago. He said, but three weeks ago when you started praying that prayer, he said, I tried to come to where you were. And the prince of Persia withheld me. He said, I tried. Now, Daniel, I know you think you're in the real world. But in the real world, it doesn't look like your prayers are being answered. But what you don't know is that while you're praying in your world, there is a war going on in the real world. For three weeks, you've been praying and you've been fasting. But the prince of this region in Persia has withheld me and he's a strong angel. He said, but finally the Lord sent Michael down and got Michael. He got Michael to get a hold of that old prince. He said, Michael got a hold of the prince and he held him back so that I could come to you and bring you a word. In the real world, your breakthrough is on the way. Some people give up after the first week, and I'm not getting into prophecy. I'm not getting into crazy thing about the 70th week or the third week. What I'm not, I'm not going to get into that tonight, but what I'm saying to you is the power of that third week just so happens to be that it was the week of breakthrough. It was the time of breakthrough. It doesn't really matter if it was six weeks, ten weeks, 70 weeks. On that third week, it was the moment of breakthrough. And here's what I want somebody to know that's going on in the real world above your head tonight. Somebody is weary in the second week of your travail and you're wondering how in the world you're ever going to get through this but I'm telling you that in the real world your prayers have been heard and that God has seen every tear that you've cried hallelujah he's heard every prayer that you've prayed you may feel like you're praying to a brass heaven and you haven't moved the heart of God but you listen to what I'm telling you in the name of Jesus that principality is about to come down and God is about to let him know who's in charge Let me hurry. I don't want to make you snoring Greek and dreaming Hebrew right here, but I want to take you somewhere. 
first thing you need to know is that there's a war going on between two kingdoms. And the second thing I want to tell you is that there's a conflict between light and darkness. At Qumran, a place located in Israel, which I've been blessed to see, there was a group of men called the Essenes, and the Essenes wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. The scrolls were discovered in the late 40s into the 50s, 1950s. One of the scrolls is called the War Between the Sons of Darkness and the Sons of Light. It's also known as the War Scroll. It was discovered in 1947. And it talks about a great battle that's going to take place at the end. Today, the quote-unquote sons of darkness would be the children of the devil or wicked men. And the sons of light would be the righteous that know the Lord. And there's going to be a conflict between these two. But again, I reiterate, this lines up perfectly with what we see in the Scripture. This scroll was not found to be a part of the Scripture. But it completely validates the Scripture. That in the end time, the sons of darkness and the sons of light, there's going to be a meeting. And they're going to fight it off. Well, we read it in the Scripture too. And it says that the valley was full of blood up to their knees. But guess who wins? I've never seen it like John saw it, but I would have loved to have seen the picture that he saw on Patmos when he said, I looked up, and there was a number that I could not number. It was 10,000 upon 10,000, oh my God, of his saints. He said, but they were overcomers, and they overcame the accuser of the brethren by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. There's a war between light and darkness. The third thing that I want to tell you is that there's a cosmic battle that takes place at the time of the end. We're not going to get into Gog and Magog and talk about all this in depth, but I just, I just want you to understand tonight, this is not end time prophecy. This is just letting you know that Jesus is coming. So I want you to know the third thing tonight. The cosmic battle that takes place is recorded in Revelation. Stay with me closely tonight. In Revelation 15 and 1, we discover that the wrath of God is poured out at this time. Revelation 12, 2, it tells us also that God's wrath is not the only wrath that's poured out, but that the wrath of Satan himself is going to be released in the earth. But Revelation 11 and 18 also tells us that the wrath of the nations are released at this time. Now this is going to mess with somebody. I'm going to give you a picture right here. God's wrath is released. Satan's wrath is released. And the nation's wrath is released. God is angry. Lucifer is angry. And the nations are angry. Jesus said it. John saw it. Jesus said, nation shall rise against nation. There shall be wars and rumors of wars. There shall be pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. He said all of this. And I'm hurrying and paraphrased to get there in a hurry tonight. He said, but all of this is the beginning of sorrows. I, I hate to keep dwelling on uh, the obvious, but I watched some viral video <laughs> that was released to some MSM, some mainstream media of two full-grown men duking it out in the aisles of a superstore. They were literally fighting over bottled water, and there was a plenteous amount, but this guy got the, the, the bottled water that that dude wanted. And so they're duking it out, like literally duking it out. And somebody throws the guy a wine bottle, and the dude busts the wine bottle and stabs the other guy and almost kills him in Walmart over bottled water. Yesterday, over a glorified flu bug. What are these people going to do with all this toilet paper when this passes? What do you think is going to happen? I know, I know. 
We got end time prophets right now saying, oh, it's going to happen right now. This is the final sickness that God's going to release on the earth. First of all, let's get our theology straight. God don't release sickness anywhere. He's the healer. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? That is, that is a damnable doctrine that God sent sickness on the earth. God didn't send no sickness. Now, he may raise a hedge, but he didn't send no sickness. And the reason why I refuse to agree with people that God sent this sickness is because he's the only cure for it. And again, I'm not making light of this thing. Some of you may have no people that are affected. I personally don't know anybody that's got it, and I hope I don't get anybody connected to me that's, that's affected by it. But understand me when I tell you, a little bit of sneezing, snotting, and coughing's got people stabbing each other with wine bottles. What's going to happen when nation starts rising against nation? What's going to happen when the threefold wrath is released? The wrath of God, the wrath of Satan, and the wrath of the nation. Do you want me to tell you what's going to happen? The, only the strong are going to survive. It's going to be the people that have enough faith in their spirit to not only live for God, but be willing to die for Him. The litmus test is not going to be whether you stand up and die for Him then. Because if you won't live for Him now, you won't die for Him then. My, my, my. Y'all ready to go yet? Can I preach just a few more minutes? Daniel chapter 12 and verse number 1. Oh, God. I wish I had a little time. And at that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which standeth for the children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation even to that same time. And at that time, somebody help me with this. Thy people shall be delivered. Everyone that shall be found. Written. <laughs> Written in the book. What book, Pastor? The book. The book. What book, Pastor? The book. When his disciples came to him, and Jesus said, It's time for you to take what I have taught you. Over the last three years and actually live what I've taught you. Because disciples don't just receive preaching. They live preaching. He said, you suckers have leached onto me for three years. You've watched me cast out devils and heal the sick. He said, now I'm about to release you and I want you to go two by two. And I want you to pray for the sick and cast out devils. They came running back to him. They said, oh Lord, even the spirits are subject unto us. And he pours cold water on their party. He said, rejoice not that the spirits are subject unto you. It's almost like you can hear the undertone in his voice as the Lord is saying, duh, I've showed you that. The spirits are going to be subject to you. That is no reason for you to rejoice. He said, don't rejoice at the power that I've already given you. If you want a reason to rejoice, what he say? He said, rejoice that your name has been written in the book, in the Lamb's book of life. Daniel said Michael's going to stand up and God is going to bring deliverance to those who are written in the book. That's a reason to rejoice. There is a book where the records have been kept Brother Diaz, in that record book where all of my records have been kept, something happened to my record when I got some blood on me. (laughs) Everything that I was, 
Man, if you could feel what I'm feeling right now. Everything that I had done, all of a sudden when Lucifer comes back to that book and he says, yeah, but I want to remind you of it, all of a sudden he comes to a screeching halt and he says, I'm, I know that was in there. You were a scallywag. You were a drunk. You were not, but where did it go? And all of a sudden, Michael's going to stand up and say, there was an eraser called the blood of Jesus. And everything that they were, they are no more. If you want to see their name, you've got to look in this book. This is the Lamb's book of life. Their name is written here. Matthew 24 and 22. Let me hurry tonight. Except those days should be shortened. You can read this for yourself. I don't think it needs any divine interpretation. But I'll give you my interpretation of it. I'm not giving you a private interpretation. I'm just telling you what I believe he's saying. He said, if the Lord doesn't hurry up and come back, there's not going to be anybody saved. Is there anybody in here that would disagree with that? Is that what the book says? If he doesn't shorten the time, there should be no flesh saved. But for the elect's sake, who's that? Daniel said, but thy children shall be delivered, even those who are found in the book. (laughs) And the Lord said, for the sake of those whose name is written down, I'm coming back. You hear me when I tell you right now. If we have ever needed to preach about the imminent return of Jesus Christ, we need to preach it right now. We need to preach it as strong as we've ever preached it. Oh, yeah, but pastor, we got to wait till they sign that peace treaty. Because when men cry peace and safety, then shall the end come. And then there's going to be seven years. Can I tell you right now, I refuse to dive off in the deep end of eschatology tonight. There is something down deep in my soul that believes before we leave this house tonight that the trump of God could sound. I'm telling you, I'm not here to argue pre-mid or post-trip. I am a firm believer that at any moment right now, he could come back and get the church. And we've got to get back to preaching that and we've got to get back to believing that the imminent return of Christ is upon us I don't have time to chase rabbit trails I don't want to get lost in this thing right here but we got too many people that think they've got it all figured out too many people trying to get oh hey I know what's going to happen Well, if you do, then he's a liar. Brother Bigham, I don't believe it. He said, no man knows the day or the hour. Man, I'm telling you, there are angels standing all over this house. You can feel them up here all over this place. You know why? Because they're listening to our conversation right now. And I've come to tell the angels that have come from heaven to gather up my praise and worship and return it to the Father tonight. I've come to tell the angels, you just go ahead and tell the Lord that the church is going to be ready when he's ready to come. We 
are very well seeing, I believe, right now. Without going too deep, I believe that we are seeing pre-tribulation signs and the second coming signs. I believe that these signs are being seen of men all over the world, whether they recognize them as pre-tribulation signs or the second coming signs. I do not believe that we are in the seven years of great tribulation right now. I don't believe that we're there, but I believe that there are pre-tribulation signs, and these signs are leading up to the rapture and the coming of the Lord. The second coming signs that lead up to the return of the Lord is when He's coming back for His saints. So let's talk just a little bit about these pre-tribulation signs. Matthew 24, 7 through 8, we, we discussed it shortly. Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in diverse places. But these are the beginning. Somebody say the beginning. These pre-tribulation signs are literally, if I could paint it to you in this kind of a picture, it is the birthing pains. It is the, uh, it is the, uh, uh, what the, the, the contraction pains in the earth before the coming of the Lord, before Zion truly travailed. This is the moment, the pre-tribulation, the beginning of sorrows. This is when things are going to be happening in the earth that begin to point now not to just pre-trib signs, but to second coming signs. Then we find out what the second coming signs are. Some call it the second coming. Some call it the second advent, whatever you want to call it. Just call me gone when it shows up. But these second coming signs are signs in the cosmic. They are not necessarily signs in the earth. 24 and 30 of Matthew. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. Pre-tribulations are signs in the earth. Second coming signs. The signs of heaven. Then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Because what's happening in the heavens has now created a stir in the earth. And they, the sons of the earth, shall see from our perspective in the earth. We're going to stand in this first earth. And we are going to see the Son of Man coming in the third heaven. In the clouds of heaven. We are going to stand in the first dimension. And peer through the second dimension. And see what he's been doing in the third dimension. And he's going to stand out in the third dimension. But he's not coming back weak and quiet and feeble and anemic and broke down. He is not coming back crucified. He is coming back with power and great glory. Stay with me right here. Everybody doing okay? The time is coming when God's going to judge the nations. When that time comes, what does he do with the righteous? It's a good question. There is a principle of escape all through the Old Testament. I don't, again, I, I don't really want to get in here too deep tonight. I've preached this in times past and in time series and things of that nature, but I just want to touch this very quickly. Before God judges the wicked, he always gives the righteous one of two things, okay? It's very imperative that you understand what I'm getting ready to preach to you, so let me slow this down and get this in your spirit. God will prepare his people to preserve them in it, or second, he will deliver them out of it. It is the principle of escape that God will either prepare you and stand with you in it or he will deliver you out of it. This principle is all throughout the Bible. To be honest with you, there's really no reason for debate. For example, Hebrews 11 and 7, by faith Noah being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is by, will he find it in the earth? They were warned of God, and they were protected in the time of the flood. 
Lot in Genesis 19 and 14 warned his family. God warned them that judgment was coming. They didn't believe him. But God did not put his hand on Lot and leave him in Sodom. God sent an angel to Lot's family and pulled them out of Sodom. But the principle of Sodom and Lot and his family is still powerful and imperative for us to see today. That just because he provides a way for you to come out doesn't mean that you're going to walk out willingly. The Bible said that heaven, an angel from heaven, had a hold of her hand of Lot's wife, grabbed a hold of her hand and was pulling her out of Sodom. But Sodom had a hold of her heart. And before the coming of the Lord, I've come to tell you right now, it's not going to do any good for God to send an angel and grab you by the hand and try to take you out of this world when you're looking over your shoulder because you're in love with this present world. day Jeremiah warned people for 23 years that the Babylonians were coming trouble was coming they had sinned against God and they did not believe the prophet Jeremiah the old weeping prophet however Jeremiah was spared from going all the way into Babylonian captivity in 45 and 5 of Jeremiah seekest thou great things for thyself seek them not for behold I will bring evil upon all flesh saith the Lord but thy life Will I give unto thee for a prey in all the places where thou goest. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, in 24 and 16 of Matthew, told the Jews. He said, when you see Jerusalem surrounded, I want you to flee into the mountains. Because he'll either preserve you in it, or he'll make a way for you to come out of it. I'm telling somebody in this house. That whether we're in need of preservation or we're in need of escape. The bottom line is that whichever one of those two mercies we need. We are in need of a love for truth in this present. That is stronger than whatever he has to preserve me in or take me out of. I'm not sure you're hearing what I'm preaching to you right now. I'm saying to you, as kindly as I can say to you and all who are listening and who will hear the echo of what I'm preaching to you right now, not everybody is going to be preserved and not everybody is going to escape. You're going to have to fall in love with truth or you're going to die and be lost. You're either going to fall in love with God or you're going to fall in love with this present world. I don't care whether he preserves me for a while or he gives me an escape. I had to make up my mind before the trouble ever came. It doesn't matter to me if the Lord comes tonight or if he comes in a hundred years. I've got to be ready for the coming of the Lord. Hallelujah. Would you just lift your hands to Jesus? I feel the Lord trying to speak in this house right now. He's coming back. He's coming back. There are a few things that we must do between this very moment as the narrative unfolds before us that we see so plainly in the scripture. We were left with six things that we must do in the end time church. 24 and 42 of Matthew. The Lord said, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. I don't want this to in any way dissuade you. But watching in this scripture does not mean keep your eyes open. In Roman times there were different watches of the night. They were divided up from 3 to 9, from 9 to 12, 12 to 3, and 3 to 6. Four watches. 
in this case where Jesus tells us to watch, it comes from a Greek word which means to stay alert and stay sober so that you're not caught off guard. In other words, regardless of what watch of the night it is, be certain that you are aware. Well, maybe I'm missing something, Pastor. No, you're not missing it at all because he gave a word about ten virgins. And he said there were five that were wise and there were five that were foolish. But the issue was not their purity. Understand me when I tell you they were all ten virgins. They just weren't all wise. And the difference between wisdom in the end time hour and not having wisdom was how much oil they had left. And at the midnight hour, when the bridegroom came to get the bride, those that did not have oil in their lamp, hallelujah, they were left behind in the darkness. Can I tell you that there are going to be people who have attended church for years, but they did not watch, and they did not wait, and they did not keep their lamp full. They were there every Sunday morning, but they did not have their lamp can I tell you he is not just coming back for people that know how to fill a pew he's coming back for people that know how to fill up their oil he's coming back for somebody that knows how to stay full of the Holy Ghost to be sober and be vigilant Luke 21 36 I'm hurrying Watch ye therefore and pray always. This is powerful to me right here. I I think this is a very, very important end time scripture. I think it's extremely important. Watch ye therefore. Somebody somebody say stay sober. Stay aware. Keep keep, keep your surroundings. Know, Know what's going on. Know what's happening in the world. And pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all things that shall come to pass and stand before the Son of Man. Be aware of how much oil you've got left. Be aware of what you're doing for Christ because it's the only thing that'll last. Keep yourself in a prayer closet. Folks, I want to tell you right now that I don't pray because it's the Christian thing to do. You hear me? Prayer needs to become to us what oxygen is to our body. That prayer is not something we add to our life. That prayer is our life. That we pray from the time we get up. I'm not talking about walking around, floating off the ground six inches, speaking in tongues, walking through Walmart. I'm talking about being in the Holy Ghost. I'm talking about having discernment, praying all day long, praying... Cleaning prayers, short prayers, praying at night, seeking God, spending long seasons and short seasons, praying, being sensitive to the Holy Ghost. Why? Because I want to be counted worthy that I could escape those things at the coming of the Lord. Somebody shout to your neighbor, watch. Just don't turn towards them when you do it. I'm just teasing. He said, Watch. Second thing, Mark 13, 33, they come together. Take heed, watch and pray, for you know not when the time is. Pray in the Spirit. War in the Spirit. Pray in agreement. Pray in thanksgiving. Pray in binding. Pray in loosing. Pray, James said, the prayer of faith. In Corinthians, Paul said, pray in the Spirit and pray with understanding. we got to pray both ways. In the New Testament alone, there are... 11 different types of prayer. We've got to pray. We've got to pray. We've got to seek God. We've got to stay before His throne. We've got to pray. And one of the most important things is the third thing that we have to do. We've got to watch and we've got to pray. And the third thing is there's a special prayer that we've got to pray. And we've got to pray that we enter not into temptation. There's never been an hour... In my lifetime that the temptation to walk away is as strong as it is right now for some. Jesus did not say that temptation was sin. He said pray that you enter not into it. If temptation was a sin, Jesus would have been a sinner. Because he was tempted in the wilderness. But what was he doing in the wilderness? 
He was praying and fasting. Let pastor break this down to you. You got to get this in your spirit tonight. I'm almost done preaching. But you got to get this. When you're trying to do the most for the Lord, that's when you're going to be the most tempted. Jesus was separating himself from all humanity to get as close to the will of God in his life as he could get. And hell sent a personal emissary to destroy him and to tempt him. You know what he had? He had the same weapon that we've got. He didn't pull any God in the flesh games. (laughs) He said, it's written. It's awful hard to know what's written if you never crack the book, you know it? God bless you, you're dismissed. Watch him pray. Number four, keep oil in your lamp. Number five, invest in the Lord's kingdom. It's the safest place in the world to invest. Pastor, why in the world are you talking about money in the end time? I want to tell you why. Because you know the heart of your pastor and you know the heart of the leadership of this church. We don't hoard money in this church. We need more money than we've ever had to get this gospel into more nations of the world than we have ever got it into. I, know, I, don't, know what, I don't know what's going to happen. I got a text from my dear friend last night in Rohatan, Honduras. Brother Stephen Jones had just preached for us. We just gave in an offering to bless him. And he told me, he said, uh, they have just shut down our church, all churches, for 14 days in Honduras. He said, we're completely shut down for the next 14 days. And he said, here on the island, we, all we've got, all we've got to go by... Is, uh, is cruise ships and people coming. He said, that's all we've got. And they've shut off cruise ships for the next 90 days here on the island. He said, it's pandemonium. You can't get anything and people aren't in their right mind. You hear me when I tell you, these are missionaries that are worth investing in. Because I don't know of anybody in this church tonight that wants to hop on a plane and fly to Roatan, Honduras and be stuck over there right now with a pregnant wife and two little boys trying to figure out what they're going to do. You hear me? We had better invest in the kingdom of God and get this gospel around the world well I don't think that has anything to do with the end time I don't guess you've ever read Matthew 25 it's the parable of talents he said the master went away I go away to prepare a place for you he said the master went away and when the master came back he said what'd you do with what I gave you Well, I took what you gave me and I hid it. I wanted to be safe. He said, the master don't play safe. We don't play safe games. Oh, God. I want God to give us a vision. Over the last few days, this church and people connected in this church literally in one week. It took us a whole month. To raise the $4,000 that we were going to send for Brother Murray. And in the last week, this church and people connected in this church and ministries in this church has given $5,000 to missions in one week. But before we start doing backflips, I want to tell you it's the Sister TJ and I, last Sunday night in California, we attended a home missions church, some of our dearest friends. And we've been praying for that church that God would give them a building. For them to get in the building they're in, their rent payment, their, their lease payment is more than our church payment. And they're a home missions church. And last Sunday night, their home missions church, which they, it's almost not even fair. They're breaking out of that home mission thing. They're baptizing people. God's doing a great work in Tracy. But last week, that 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 young church it's like five six years old on Sunday night they raised almost thirty three thousand dollars in one night for missions you know why because we're not going to play it safe in the end time I'd by far rather win a soul in a foreign country than I would upgrade my house and upgrade my car and upgrade my shoes God give us revival I've already preached too long. But I got to get this to you tonight. I'm almost finished. 
Why is money such an important thing in the end time? Because the Lord said that it is the spirit of Antichrist that's working the spirit of mammon in the earth. What is the spirit of the Antichrist going to do in the earth? It gives us, it gives us Brother Gene, it's the, the spirit of the Antichrist talks about the power to buy and to sell. And we don't think money has anything to do with the end time? I don't mean to sound ugly at all. I told somebody today, I said, I've got a hard, hard time believing if people are acting this stupid about toilet paper, that they're going to have a terribly difficult time when somebody comes to them and says, take the mark on your forehead or your family's not eating. Come on, y'all were flipping out a while ago. Where'd you go? Oh, I'm going to stand for, I'm going to stand for Jesus. Boy, there's so many places I could go right here. We better invest in the kingdom of God. Mm. I said that M word and it got tied in here. Because it's that spirit of mammon that rests on money. It gets all over us. You do understand that the principle of tithing, why it's so powerful... It's because when tithing was taught outside of finances, it said that the first 10%, the first fruit, redeems what's left. And that's the power of investing in the kingdom of God. It sets it apart and makes holy the rest of it. I want us tonight to be prayerful as I close. Because I want to revisit one quick thing that I briefly mentioned to you a few moments ago. The last thing that I want us to talk about tonight is what we must pray about. And that is to be counted worthy to escape tribulation. I don't really know how else to break this down tonight. So let's just be real. Your eschatological views become irrelevant. begin to scratch the surface of the end time and here's one thing that you're going to find no matter what else you agree or disagree with about pre-mid or post there are only two groups there is the group that escapes the tribulation and the group that doesn't that's it and there are only two groups when it comes to the rapture it's really quiet, and that's good. There are the ones, Brother Looper, that make it. And there are the ones that miss it. Well, I have my views on that. Well, then you take your chances. Because I made up my mind, Brother Hensel. I'm going to be there when the trumpet sounds. Hallelujah. And if I've got to go by the grave, then so be it. But if I'm still alive and kicking at the sound of the trumpet, I don't care if I'm on the first ticket or the second ticket. I don't care if I'm in the dead and Christ arise first or the ones that meet him in the air. But I plan on going, and I believe it's sooner than we believe it is. I believe it can happen right now. I believe it can happen tonight when you lay down in your bed. I believe it can happen when you wake up tomorrow morning. What are you saying, Pastor? Jesus is coming. There was a time that when somebody preached on heaven like this, you didn't have to give an altar call. Because people realize there's only one alternative to heaven. And they'd do whatever they had to do to get ready to go there. So let me just tell you in this place tonight. We've got one of two groups. You're in the tribulation or you miss the tribulation. You're in the rapture or you miss the rapture. And the only thing I can tell you tonight is whatever it costs you to make it in that group.
it's going to be worth it when you stand before the Lord. There's nothing in this world that you'll give up or lay down that you're going to regret when you stand before God. And he says, enter in thou good and faithful servant. He said there's only going to be two things said. It's either going to be enter in or depart from me. So I'm telling you tonight, I plan on going in the number that he says to enter in. More than anything in my life, I've got to make it.